The temps are warmer, you've mowed the lawn, and maybe even turned on the AC a time or two. It's definitely spring. So SpI.com is having their spring sale. Log on now and get local deals up to 50% off before they're gone. SpI.com. This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Uh, Bishop, very challenging for people to go through a death this time of year, Boy, I, whether it be Thanksgiving, but especially so right prior to Christmas. That's a special challenge for people, is it not? Well, it is, and I know that from my own experience. Really? My, my father died 25 years ago on December 13th. Oh, my. And uh, so right before Christmas. So uh, you have that in your memories, but uh, we have our Christian hope of eternal life, too. So uh, it kind of uh, blends together very well uh, with the celebration of Christmas and our, our Lord's birth to look forward to uh, our, the promise of eternal life for each one of us. Bishop, what's the state of the state of the Catholic parishes in the diocese at the moment, as far as number of priests and things like that, are you comfortable where you're at? Uh, we're doing pretty well, actually. We're we're holding our own. So I've been uh, Bishop Don of Springfield for 12 years, and in that time I've ordained 33 priests, and our numbers have stayed pretty consistent in terms of ordinations keeping up with uh, with deaths and retirement. So we have about 100 diocesan priests, about 25 of them are senior status, and about 30 religious order priests, mostly Franciscan, but uh, we're holding our own with that. Has the church, your church, Catholic Church, uh, recovered from the pandemic? Are are people coming back to Mass, or is it still not the numbers it once was? They're coming back. Uh, they're not. We're not quite uh, back. Depends on the parish. Some of the parishes are back. I'd say just from our experience at the cathedral and uh, talking to other parishes, we're still waiting for the official October count. We actually count heads every year in October. Uh, but it looks like uh, we we had a recovery. At, of course, uh, 2020, the numbers were, were down quite a bit, but we uh, got about half of those people back, and we're gradually getting back to where we were before. Uh, Bishop, let's talk about the, the schools. Does the diocese operate any school in the diocese, or mm-hmm. are all the schools operated independently? Well, uh, indirectly. The diocese is involved, so uh, our parish... Uh, parishes operate the grade schools. So those are what they're called parochial schools because they're attached to the parish under the authority of the pastor. Of course, the pastor is under my authority, so it's, I have an indirect uh, relationship with it. And with the high schools, we have seven Catholic high schools uh, in the diocese. Uh, only one is under a parish, that's uh, St. Anthony's uh, in Effingham. And we have uh, Sacred Heart Griffin here in Springfield, which is actually uh, sponsored by the Springfield Dominican Sisters. The other five high schools uh, have a board of directors, uh, again, I am a, what they call a, the, the sole member of the corporation, so I have some reserve powers in terms of the naming of the president and board members and things like that. But for the most part, the, uh, the day-to-day activities of those uh, high schools are done by a board of directors. Are more and more schools going to the model of a, of a president of a school? I know SHG's had that for a while now, and uh, it seems like a lot of schools have gone to that model. Why did they go to that model? Well, that model basically provides for a president and a principal with the principal having responsibility for the day-to-day, uh, more the in-house, running the academics, uh, supervising the teachers, the uh, day-to-day working with the students. The uh, president's role uh, and the focus would be more external. So uh, fundraising and uh, contacts with people outside the community and uh, setting the overall direction and tone of, of uh, the high school in terms of its Catholic identity and policies and procedures. Does the diocese supply any financial aid to any of the grade schools or, or high schools in the diocese? We have a, a collection here in okay. Springfield 
uh, for our schools, and that, that money is apportioned uh, to the uh, grade schools and the high school, uh, Sacred Art Griffin here. But for the most part, uh, the grade schools, as parochial schools, it's the responsibility of the parish. So we have um, we have 129 parishes throughout the diocese. We have uh, 36 grade schools and seven seven high schools. So those those grade schools would pertain uh, to the responsibility of the parishes. How much of a challenge, Bishop Paprocki, uh to convince people who go to Mass every Sunday or Saturday, the case might be, uh, to give money and part of the collection goes to support the school, for example. Uh, there are probably some people that, I'm just going to use Christ the King, one I'm familiar with, Christ the King, who would say, well, I don't have any kids in school anymore. All I want to do is to take care of the church or the parish. Mm-hmm. Is there a separation, and, and how do you address that? Well, there shouldn't be a separation, and we, we try to bridge that because I remind people that um, every Catholic should have a sense of responsibility for passing on the faith to the next generation, whether we have children or not. And so I kind of argue against what I call the consumer mentality is that, oh, well, if you have children, you have to buy a Catholic education. It's, it's the parents' responsibility. And I say, well, we don't even run the public schools that way. Public schools, we don't just tax parents of, uh, of um, children who are in the school. Everybody gets taxed for schools because it's the responsibility of the community. Well, if, if, if the public sector... Uh, recognizes that. I think the church should as well. So it's a challenge, though, to c- convince people um, that uh, if they don't have children in the school, they should have responsibility. But that also works the other way. We also um, have to convince our, many of our parents uh, of our school children that they should be uh, active um, uh, participants in parish life, that they're not just uh, sort of dropping their kids off at school, but they're parish schools. And so we, we want to see those people in church on Sunday, and uh, we're also working to try to uh, foster that as well. The Bishop Thomas John Paprocki is visiting with us on this 23rd of December, Christmas Eve being tomorrow. Um, I want to go back to the, to the concept of five of the high schools in the diocese. If they have a president and they're naming a president, you have the final okay on that? Uh, that's correct. That is yes. correct. That would not be the case with Effingham St. Anthony's. Am I correct? Right. And that would not be the case with SHG. Right, and actually, uh, St. Anthony's uh, in Effingham doesn't have a president because oh, okay. they, they have a pastor. Okay, so the pastor then would basically have the role of the president. So I appoint the pastor uh, in that case. So SHG is in a is in a different category because they're sponsored by uh, by a religious community, the Springfield Dominicans. So they would have those reserve powers. Uh, the diocese has input in terms of two seats on the board of directors. Okay. They do have a board of directors. So my superintendent of schools, Brandy Boris, is on that board, uh, together with uh, uh, Chris Summer, who's a, a chief investment uh, officer for the diocese, and, uh, and Father Chris House. Uh, Chris House is a, a pastor here at Christ the King. Uh, and then I have an observer for that, my chief of staff, uh, Mike Christie. So we do we do have input on that. Uh, but the, the sisters are continue to be the sponsors. You were a a fixture on the sideline for SHG football. You have for a number of years. You were very much a part of it this year. I saw you out there on the field with the trophy presentation and so on. And I think that was special to have two parochial schools, obviously playing in a championship, and really special when our favorite one won. Um, you've also watched and observed and had become a very good friend of Coach Leonard. How's he able to accomplish what he has accomplished over the years he's coached? 
Well, uh, as a person of faith myself, I would attribute it to the fact that he is a person of faith, and uh, he has a very strong relationship with our Lord, and and what I admire about him is he's not afraid to talk about that. I've I've been with him, uh, talking, hearing, listening to him uh, talk to the players in the locker room uh, and the prayer before games and after games. He's not afraid uh, to talk to football players about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's a very important witness. Uh, someone like a coach has a great um, uh, position and a responsibility as a role model, and a lot of those players look look up to him. And so. For uh, players, for football players to be able to hear from their coach that uh, it's a good thing to be religious and to have a relationship with our Lord, uh, I, I, I admire him for that. Uh, do you know, I'm not going to ask you where every Mass is tomorrow in the diocese and what time it is, but is, is Christmas Eve, Christmas Day the number one day when it comes to attendance at Catholic churches? Uh I believe it is. I th- uh, Easter would be right up there really? as well. Okay. So uh, Easter, from a liturgical point of view, is we, we actually consider it more important because that's the resurrection of our Lord and everything uh, stems from there. If our Lord didn't rise from the dead, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. So in a sense, Easter is more important. And we get great crowds on Easter as well. But yes, uh, Christmas, we actually have uh, Mass Times listed in our diocesan publication, Catholic Times, this uh, past issue. And we have that online as well at our website, dio.org. Uh, at the cathedral, we'll have our usual uh, uh, mass times on Christmas Eve. Four o'clock is, is going to be the biggest one. So if you want to come at four o'clock uh, tomorrow, get there early. Uh, 7 p.m. and then midnight mass. I'll be celebrating the midnight mass okay. uh, traditionally at midnight. And uh, then our Sunday schedule will be, uh, as usual, on Sunday, 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. We will not have a 5 p.m. mass uh, on Sunday. But then I have this uh, tradition of uh, going to say mass on Christmas Eve at a prison. So I've been doing that for uh, a number of years. Uh, I've been going, we have seven prisons uh, in our diocese. I've been to all of them except the one in Mount Sterling and in Robinson, which is out near in Indiana. But I'm going uh, tomorrow to, uh, I'm going to jail tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm going to celebrate Mass for the prisoners uh, at the prison in Mount Sterling, which is near Quincy. Sure. And I do that because uh, you have the, uh, these men in prison and our Lord, you know, said that we should visit the imprisoned. And I, so I just, I go there as, um, a statement and as a symbol to tell the people in prison that even in jail, the Lord has not forgotten you and God still loves you no matter what you've done that, uh, you know, uh, and I come there as, as to provide that, that message. I, it's always, uh, it's very moving, um, for them, and it's it's moving for me to do that as well. I was going to ask you, the, it, what is the message? Remind me again, that because it, it, is it kind of the same basis at every Christmas Eve, or does it differ based on the time we are in? Uh, it's basically the, the same every every Christmas Eve. Now, it, uh, the reality is I, I didn't go at all in 2020 because okay. of COVID. Things were sure. locked down, and even last year, the prisons were we're still pretty heavily locked down. So I went to uh, last last year, instead of going to a prison, I went to Concordia Nursing Home uh, here. So I, I try to uh, visit people on Christmas Eve uh, who otherwise uh, can't get to church. And uh, so, uh, but this year back to the prison, so we've made arrangements, so I'll, I'll be visiting the prison. The message is basically uh, the same. It's you know, to celebrate uh, Christmas uh, and to remind the prisoners that uh, they've, they're not forgotten. Uh, so I've been... Uh, it's probably the most movies when I go to prisons where there are women who are incarcerated. I've been to the women's mm. prison in Decatur. Sure. And the federal prison in Greenville has a women's unit and a men's unit. And uh, 
you know, that the, the, I remember the one in Decatur, some of the women had their babies with them and it oh. was just a, a very, very tough situation. Uh, and, and so, uh, I know that it's very hard for them. And, uh, sometimes, uh, I'll see uh, they're very moved, uh, not only the women, but uh, even the men uh, sometimes will be uh, in tears to, to when they realize that they're not forgotten, even in prison. Uh, let's talk about a new addition. I always call it the mother house. Mm-hmm. Years ago, it was St. John's Sanitarium, of course, and, and it's changed dramatically. Uh, but out in the shadows of Riverton, the diocese have taken over that complex. Am I correct? Well, it's actually the generosity of the, the sisters. Ah, who, okay. They they helped us set up a trust, so it's not directly under the diocese. We okay. Have, we have a separate trust, uh, and it's this is the old Kiara Center. Yes. And we're, we're retreats for many years. That shut down uh, actually during COVID, uh, when people were not going on retreats, so they shut down the the center there. But the sisters also are are diminishing in numbers, and uh, so as they're looking to the future, they wanted to make sure that that stayed uh, in in Catholic hands and. Uh, so they were hoping that perhaps a retirement community could could move in there, and uh, there weren't any takers on that. But we did uh, then decide to uh, create what we're calling the Evermode Institute, named after Saint Evermode, uh, not a very well known saint, but he was the successor of Saint Norbert. Saint Norbert founded the Norbertines in France in 1120, and uh, Evermode was his uh, follower and successor. And uh, so we we are establishing this Evermode Institute uh, to be a center for formation for Catholic school teachers and catechists, which we're finding a great need these days. So years ago, like uh, when you and I went to school, the nuns taught, uh, sure. and they so they had their religious background. Now we have many uh, predominantly lay, lay teachers, and that's fine, but uh, we have to make sure that they have the religious formation. So the Evermode Institute will do that. It will be staffed by Norbertine priests. We have seven Norbertine priests uh, that will be coming uh, starting uh, July 1st of next year. Really? And uh, the connection there is uh, through our good friend, Bishop Kevin Van. Uh, Kevin Van is uh, the Bishop of uh, Orange, California. He used to be pastor here in Springfield when Monsignor Van was pastor at uh, Blessed Sacrament Parish in Springfield. And so through him, we've made this connection with the Norbertines. It is a, a wonderful community uh, in Southern California that's growing. They uh, built a brand new monastery last year, uh, cost them over $100 million, uh, and it's full. They have 50 priests and 40 seminarians, and so they're looking to expand. So they are sending initially seven, and we hope that community will, will grow here uh, in, in our diocese as well. What role will they play, those seven priests, on a daily basis? They will be uh, working primarily with the—well, one of them will be in charge of the community. Uh, he's already been identified, Father Augustine uh, Puckner. He's from Milwaukee, actually, so he's coming back to the Midwest. Uh, he's been a pastor in Southern California for the past few years. And then Father Ambrose Christ— will be the director of the Evermode Institute, and then the other priests will, will help uh, uh, provide the programs of uh, formation for Catholic school teachers and catechists. So anyone who wants to teach in the Catholic schools will be encouraged to participate in this? Uh, probably more than encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see, we see this as being very, very how, how How long are we talking about? Are we talking a year or two years? Oh, I mean, it'll be... Um, not a full-time, um, people don't have to go there full-time. Okay. So there'll be various uh, uh, programs like uh, continuing education, ongoing uh, programs. So uh, those priests will, uh, will have a, a great influx of uh, seven priests coming in. People shouldn't think, that oh, we've got more priests for our parishes. They might be available to help out, but they're primarily not going to be parish priests. They're going to be doing specialized ministries, which is uh, kind of what they've um, 
been known for the high school chaplains, college chaplains, university teachers, and things like that. So I would imagine they'd be taking some of those roles as well. There was a day, Bishop, was there not, where there were, quote, enough diocesan priests to fill all the needs right here in Springfield. You had the Viatorians doing their commitment, but dwindling numbers there. Uh, the same thing, for example, what is the what is the order that works uh, uh, over at uh, Catherine Drexel, if you will, Sacred Heart and St. Pat's in the day? Uh, that's another growing community, the, the uh, canons regular of St. John Cantius. Uh, St. John Cantius, today is actually his feast day. I uh, just uh, celebrated Mass for this feast day today. St. John Cantius was a uh, saint in Poland. He taught at the University of Krakow. And uh, so that was a community founded in Chicago. And uh, my connection with them is uh, back when I was uh, Chancellor of the Archdiocese of Chicago, I used to say Mass at that community, uh, St. John Cantius Church, uh, once a month. I take the Latin Mass and and uh, got to know them that way. So they they've been here in our diocese now since 2015, and uh, they have uh, three priests uh, there at uh, St. Catherine Drexel Parish, which has uh, Sacred Heart Church and St. Patrick Church, and then they also have a, a brother with them, Brother Mateusz. So there's four um, canons there uh, on the east side of uh, Springfield right now. Uh, the Evermode Institute back there. Does that mean that they will have? auspices, if you will, of that beautiful church that's yes. there. Yes, they will. So St. Oh Francis Church, uh, right now it's, it's, uh, we're in a transition mode, so it's, uh, it's, it's not currently being open to the public. Okay. Uh, the plan is starting July, uh, next July 1st that uh, when the Norbertines arrive and they, they have the priests here, that they will begin celebrating Masses on a regular basis uh, at St. Francis Church. So the public could go? The public will be uh, uh, invited to go. I am always surprised number of people who have not seen the inside of that church. Uh, yes. I want to argue about it, but it's pretty special. It is. It's a, it's a hidden gem. Oh, my. Great call. Spectacular. But because it's not a parish church, people don't uh, frequently go there. But uh, um, that, it'll, it'll, it won't be a parish church, but uh, there will be the possibility for people if they want to go there. It'll be open. It won't be uh Locked doors, people can come in and go to Mass there. As we wrap up the interview, thanks for coming in. How concerned about you are what are you at the moment as a bishop and as a person? Uh, and I know you've got a law degree and you've taught at Notre Dame. And right now you're, you're teaching where? I'm teaching. I just started teaching this past fall at Quincy University. And uh, in one our night, diocese. One night a week? Uh, yes, Thursday nights I was going in uh, to teach a course. I, I It's in their MBA program, the Oakley School of Business, which is Growing, they got a six and a half million dollar gift from the Oakley family uh, a year ago, and uh, so I'm teaching in the MBA program. I did a course called Leadership and Organizations, and then next fall I'll do a course on healthcare law. So they have a specialization in uh, their MBA program in healthcare. So I'm uh, I see that as helping to tra- uh, train uh, our future leaders in Catholic <coughs> hospitals. Bishop Paprocki, as you look, how concerned are you about where we are in our country and what's going on? Well, I am concerned. I'm, I'm concerned uh, about uh, primarily about uh, the secularism uh, in our country. I think uh, when I was growing up, I think there was a closer tie between, uh, um, I'm not saying that uh, church and state uh, should uh, uh, be close together because we do have that separation, but I think faith and and uh, and our civic uh, involvement should, you know, we should be uh, faithful people. And uh, I think that was true in the past and we've lost some of that. Uh, but I think that it's very important for us to uh, continue to promote uh, the values of our, our Judeo-Christian tradition because that's what makes people good citizens as well. And I think most uh, most politicians would recognize that. We we want 
uh, to have people that are uh, uh, faithful citizens that uh, that have good values, and that makes for a good uh, country as well as a good church. Bishop Abrock, are you still involved in hockey as much as ever? I am. I'm still helping coach Sacred Heart Griffin uh, uh, hockey team. We won the Lincoln Land uh, High School Hockey Association uh, championship last year, so very proud of, of that. And uh, I'm enjoying this uh, the snow out here. Uh, so I uh, I remember when I was a freshman in high school, uh, we had Chicago's largest snowfall ever, 23 inches. When and uh, it took me five hours to get home from school that day. So. I love there was snow. school that day. Though. There was school. There was, yeah, school. It, yeah. I, it started while we were in school, so they sent us home early, so to speak. They let us out at 1 o'clock, and I got home at 6. So uh, I'm happy that we have a white Christmas. What's the one family tradition you are going to remember when you were a young person, either grade school, high school? What's the one family tradition around Christmas season you're going to remember? Well, it's actually um, a Polish custom, uh, breaking of what they call opatki. It's, a, it's a, just a wafer, almost like the the same kind of uh, wafer bread that you would use for communion. It's not a consecrated host, so we're not sharing communion, but it's a Polish custom that you take this piece of wafer and you, you share it with uh, everyone around the table, and you just wish each other Merry Christmas and blessings in the new year. Beautiful. Bishop, if you will, lead us in prayer. Yes, let's pray. Dear God, we ask you to send your blessings upon all the people of this area and especially upon the listeners of this program. As we celebrate Christmas, the birth of your Son, who comes to us as, as our Lord and Savior, may the blessing of Almighty God be upon you and all of your families and loved ones, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Bishop. Always good to talk to you. You're welcome. Have a great Christmas. You too. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.